Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP6. This week on TWIP, Adobe's Creative Cloud is here, the business of photography contests, plus instant photography business, just add dollars. Also, our listener Q&A and Picks of the Week, and at the end of the show, an interview with Laura Tillinghast. It's Wednesday, June 19th, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me this week to discuss some of the hot topics that have popped up on our radar are Mr. Craig Colvin and Mr. Don Komarechka. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hi. Doing great. Hello, Frederick. All right. Welcome back. Craig, let's uh, let's start with you. What, what's uh, what's going on in your world? And I, you know, I ask that tongue-in-cheek because I know kind of what's going on. You and I have collaborated on a TWIP workshop that's kicking off, well, the second one, is happening tomorrow. So tell me about that. And then um, also, what else are you working on? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, tomorrow's workshop is going to be uh, uh, having a model in the studio, and we're going to throw sh- uh, sparks against her. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so it, it's completely I've done this safe. It's completely I don't want any, safe. you know, the, I don't want any email. It's experienced. Uh, we have not uh, had any accidents in, in a while. Yes. No models will while. be harmed in the making <laughs> of these photographs. So and then uh, next week, uh, the following week, we're going to have a uh, a get together in the South Bay in a little town called uh, El Viso, uh, just a a photo walk uh, with any of the local uh, twippers in the area. Uh, that's I believe Wednesday the following week. Excellent, excellent. That's going to be good. I'm looking yeah, forward to looking this. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, the first one you did was on um, what, what was the topic? That was what last week, week before last. Uh, that was a uh, uh, smoke. We used incense smoke and uh, took interesting photos with uh, of incense. And we also used light bulbs and broke the globe on the light bulb so the filament would burn and smoke. That's cool. That's cool. See, practical hands-on photography. This is like some serious shut up and shoot stuff. So thanks, Craig, for putting that stuff together. Sure, it I sounds very it. inventive too. Yeah. Well, try to try to make them interesting. You know, there are a lot of different meetup groups that you know just do the same old thing all the time. So. Try to make these uh, unique. You We're breaking light bulbs, burning models, making smoke, all kinds of stuff. There seems to be a theme here. I think I'm going to go with water next. Time. I think <laughs> you should go with something more innocuous. Yeah, water sounds good. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, welcome back. And um, also that voice you heard back there is Mr. Don Komarechka. How you doing, Don? Very good, Frederick. Uh, thanks for having me back on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for coming back on. What's, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods and in your photography career? Uh, doing a lot of workshops right now. It's the summertime. It's the best time for the nature and landscape kind of workshops. Uh, finished two last week. Got another one starting up uh, tomorrow, actually. Wow. And uh, planning some more for the future, too. So and that's keeping me pretty busy. Uh, getting out and shooting as often as I can right now. Uh, experimenting quite a bit with infrared photography. Hmm. And, of course, my regular macro stuff that always keeps me entertained. That's cool. So with your with your macro photography, are you... 
Are you, or I'm sorry, with with infrared photography, are you doing? Do you have a, a modified body, or do you are you just using filters, or how are you doing that? I, I did. I, I just recently modified my camera to uh, uh, my 5D Mark II, which was my backup, and I figured, well, let's just dive right in and uh, and and do it right and experiment with it. And I am so happy with the results so far. It's just looking through almost like a parallel universe. You're seeing a world of light that you can't actually see with your own eyes, and it behaves a lot differently. And uh, it's it's a really fun area of photography to explore. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, my uh, my toe into the infrared world was with my my first digital SLR, and that was a Canon 10D. So I uh, I sent it off to have it modified for infrared, and now it's sitting right behind me. I haven't used it in a while, but it's uh, all it can shoot is infrared. <laughs> so. Well. Pick it up and dust it off. Uh, I, I, you know, it's fun because I realize that there's a lot of interesting things about, like, if, if I see somebody wearing a black shirt and I photograph them in infrared, it's likely going to come out white. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if I photograph somebody that had dyed their hair, I can tell in infrared because the the way that their hair uh, reflects light if it's been dyed <laughs> oh, by artificial dyes is different. And so it, there's all sorts of different things that, yeah, okay, there's the classic make the sky dark and make the trees glow, but there's a lot of different nuances in it that, uh, that uh, it's fun to explore. Wow. So what are you primarily shooting with it? Uh, uh, landscape nature and landscape people? kind of stuff. Uh, right. I, although people, it, it can be very interesting, and I've seen a lot of people do it very well uh, in the wedding markets and in the uh, the... Uh, portrait market, but I don't really photograph people, so I don't you really. Should, hit that Don, you should consider crossing the streams and doing some macro infrared photography. Oh, that could be interesting. Hmm. Uh, a world no, I, within a world. Look at that. Oh, in, inside of a parallel universe. There exactly. you go. Exactly. Yeah, you might see some things that you may not want to see in there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I want to try is more night photography in infrared just to see what the heck happens. Yeah. And I might be disappointed, but it's a learning experience all the same. Isn't it cool how much stuff there is to play around with and learn with photography? It just, you know, it just doesn't get old. You like I need more hours in the day. Yeah, you just find you just find this vertical and start drilling down into it and you're like, "Wow, look at all this." <laughs> It never ends. And, you know, I was talking to a, a portrait photographer who was, uh, he was a little bit worried his business was not doing so well. And he kind of had the attitude that he, he sort of knew it all and, and he was at the top of his game. And I was just thinking to myself, well, if you think you know it all, if, if you think that you've done enough learning, then you've given up. You know, yeah. there's always more to learn. There's always another door to open. Yeah. And uh, photography is, is a wonderful way to, uh, to experience. Uh, for me, it's, it's experiencing, uh, experiencing the world. But uh, for a lot of people, it's making money. And it is that for me as well. But um, I like to, to play. I like photography is both a hobby and a passion and a career. And I'm so happy that all those streams already cross. And you know what? You'll, you'll grow into a happy old man saying that same thing. You'll be an old photographer saying, I still love this. This is awesome. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Trust me, I'm there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, guys, let's uh, let's jump into the news. Story number one um, is about Adobe. Well, I mean, this is this is kind of an abbreviated story because we talked about Adobe announcing f- the Creative Cloud um, or the update to the Creative Cloud. Well, they've released the applications, so the CC application. So, in other words, we're going from uh, Adobe. CS, the CS world, CS6 um, is over and now it's Adobe Photoshop CC for Creative Cloud. So let me, before we jump into the discussion, let me just read for the listeners the uh, the summary of what's going on. So they launched the, the uh, uh, Adobe launched Photoshop Creative Cloud this week. 
Um, this is the first edition or first version of Photoshop to re- be released solely via the cloud model. So you can't you can't go buy this off the shelf. You can only get it through the cloud model at the price of twenty bucks a month. And if you have Photoshop CS3 through CS6, you can pay ten bucks a month with an annual membership. Um, so that's, that was the first sort of point of contention. Lots of people were like crying foul about being held hostage to Photoshop and saying, you know, I'm leaving, yada, yada, yada. But my personal opinion, and I'll ask you guys later, you know, when I finish with this little intro piece, but my personal opinion is I think it's worth it. I mean, for me, cause I, it's going to be varying degrees of worthiness, you know, if that's a word for different people. But for me, because I'm kind of knee deep in this stuff and yesterday when they sent out that email, I looked in my little Creative Cloud application on my Mac and I saw all these apps in there and I'm like, wow, okay, I just click one button, go have a cup of coffee and the entire Creative Cloud suite is on my machine. Now, I'm not a fan of paying monthly fees for anything and I can cancel, I suppose, but you know, it's just it just seemed like a lot for not that much money when you consider how much coffee costs. Um, some of the new features in the, the Photoshop Creative Cloud, they've got camera shake reduction which magically de-blurs poorly captured images. Um, They've got a smart sharpen tool that lets you quickly and easily sharpen key details in the photos. They've got integration with their Behance service, which is a portfolio service that Adobe acquired last year. Um, And then uh, Camera Raw got that advanced healing brush that we saw in Lightroom and the radio gradient tool. So basically the tools that we saw in Lightroom 5 are in in, uh, Camera Raw now. So... It's very cool. Lots of cool stuff in here. So let me throw it to you guys first. First piece of this, Don, I'm going to throw it to you first. The subscription model for the Creative Cloud. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. And I think I'm one of the few. Um, You know, I look at Photoshop and Adobe's, I think that they've always had two separate classes of products. You know, they've got Photoshop Elements, which is a hundred bucks and it's for the uh, the amateur and it does a lot. Photoshop Elements has been uh, continuously improving uh, and edging up very close to what Photoshop can do. Yeah. And it's for the amateur. Yeah, and it's cre- a- well, just let me pause you for a second. Cre- the, the elements, I think, is misbranded. It might be purposely misbranded because people look at elements and they're like, yeah, elements, they used to give me that for free with scanners and all that stuff. It can't be that good if they're giving it away for free. And if I want to pay for it, it's about 100 bucks or, you know, or even less than that. How good can it be? And the answer is really good. <laughs> so, for most people, it's all you'd need. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Continue, Doug. I- uh, well, I was just going to uh, continue on and say that in uh, in the full version of Photoshop, there are a lot of features that the professional photographer will use. And uh, traditionally, Photoshop was out of the reach of the amateur. Here in Canada, I don't know what the prices are in the U.S., but the the standard version was $700 and the extended was $1,000. And, and those prices any amateur photographer would not be willing to pay uh, unless, you know, maybe they got it at a student discount or, or anything of that nature. But the regular prices is outside the realm of the amateur. And now it's not. Yeah. Now an amateur photographer, if they want to dabble in the full version, it only costs them, you know, uh, coffee for a month or, or whatever it happens to equate to. It's not a whole lot. It doesn't break the bank. And, uh, and people can use those tools. Yeah. Let's say, for example, you're, uh, you're looking to do one specific project that requires Adobe InDesign or Adobe Premiere, like the full version software. You can subscribe for a month, get the job done, and then cancel without having to, you know, fork out all the capital to, to buy the full version of the software. 
And so it, it's very approachable for somebody that's just getting into one particular field, but they need the best tool available without having to pay an exorbitant amount of money for the master collection or something similar. Yeah. So I, I, you, you I, I look think at this, be- you look at this and like I was saying, like if you have CS3, which a lot of people have, you know, anything between CS3 and CS6, it's $10 a month. So 120 bucks a year. That's not a whole lot of money to have access to every single bit of software that a company makes, right? Especially if you're creative, unless I'm looking at this wrong. Craig, what, what about you? What, are you going to subscribe to this? Well, I subscribed back a year ago when they first uh, had the Creative Cloud, and I, I've loved it. Uh, I, I find myself using apps I wouldn't use otherwise. I got the, you know, the full suite. Um, and you know, initially all I was using was Photoshop and a little bit of Premiere, and but I find myself occasionally doing InDesign, and I've recently started using a lot of Dreamweaver. Mm. Uh, so I I think it's well worth the money uh, for that, uh, and just the Photoshop itself, uh, the the incremental features they've rolled out have been kind of interesting. Instead of having to wait this long lead time for you know twelve eighteen months for them to roll out a new version. Uh, they occasionally will add new features. Um, back, I think it was December, they added the content aware to the patch tool. Yeah, I'm happy. Uh, which, I'm really happy about that. The the increased rollout of feature schedules. You remember? You guys remember back in the day? It used to be when a new version of Photoshop came out. It was like it was almost like a new version of the OS, right? You had to set because it's like wow. It. Now we have first it was. Remember it was CS, not CS3, but it was Photoshop 3 that we got layers, right? It's like, wow, we've layers. What is this? It's insane, you know? And now, you know, now they can drip feed this stuff out, right, Craig? That's right. Um, now, there is a downside to that is sometimes I'll miss some of these little features they're dripping out. And, you know, when it was a big event, you know, a big release, I would sit down and explore every tool. And some of them I'll, I'll miss and catch a couple months later and go, oh, I wish I had known about it when they, they dribbled it out. But yeah. It's still nice to have. Yeah, it is. But, in, uh, you know, you fast back then we didn't have the, I mean, you know, the tools on the Internet that we have today, like YouTube and Adobe TV and services like that, where we can say, OK, I want to sit down with a cup of coffee and have you just show me all the cool stuff in this app. We didn't have that. It was just, you know, we That's had some right. articles and, you know, we could go through them and kind of call what the new stuff was, you know, and look at the press release and dig in there. But we didn't have people showing us click by click. This is how you use this perspective correction tool, you know, that kind of thing. But now we do. So kids today, you better be appreciative. <laughs> I think that in a lot of uh, a lot of the updates that they make, that there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Sure, there's the big ticket things that uh, that they promote. But I remember in CS6, they allowed you to select multiple layers at once and change the blending modes on multiple layers at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge because if I'm putting a star trail image together, I have to change the blending mode on all layers to lighten. It saves me 20 minutes of my life uh, by just making one click instead of, you know, 120 clicks. And in Photoshop CC, the first thing that I've noticed that was kind of under the hood is when I'm doing my image resizing, the resampling algorithm that I found in CS6 was always a bit too aggressive. And I chose something that was a bit more moderate and I'd sharpen it myself afterwards. It would never remember the setting in CS6. I'd always have to change it. In Photoshop CC, it now remembers that setting. Nice. So there's a lot of little things behind the scenes that just make my workflow easier, fewer steps, and a faster job. Do you guys remember, and this is like a trip down Photoshop lane, do you remember back in the day there was this, um, uh, there was the idea, it was the the power users of Photoshop were the peoples that understood channels and channel operations. Do you remember that? 
Am I dating myself? Well, some some would say that's still the case today. It's still the case today, but it was like really back in the vogue. This was like Photoshop two when Kai Kraus and Kai's Power Tools were out, and mm-hmm. you know he used to do his little keynote when he introduced like Bryce and all these different pieces of of software and. It was almost like Steve Jobsian when he got up there and he's like, okay, yeah, our brilliant math engineers have figured out a way to do so-and-so. And then I remember online, the Kai released, I wonder if I could find that online. Listeners, if, if someone knows where or can send me a link to info at thisweekinphoto.com, a link to Kai's power tools or power tips, I would be much appreciated. But there was, a, there was this list of sort of recipes that you could do to get all these crazy different effects out of photoshop like make a layer gaussian blur it run you know solarize or posterize on that layer then convert it to this and then you know load the selection and fill it with black all this stuff was in there and it was like a step-by-step tutorial for like you know i don't know 30 or so different techniques that he had but now we can do all that automated it's all easy right the only time that I've ever had to step into uh, mixing with channels is for uh, you know some false color infrared stuff that I've just recently had to do. I have never had to play with channels before that, and I've been able to do all of the editing magic that I could imagine. Oh, channels um, are amazing, dude! You got to dive into channels. Channels, uh, well, and, and again, I, I that's, that's another often. rabbit hole that I can dig down into and really explore in photography. There's you know a thousand of them that I can explore. Yeah, and, I mean, like, uh, even, like I know you don't shoot people down, but like if you're shooting a model and say you want to add a little red to her skin, you can. Just go into the red channel and put an adjustment layer in there and like just boost up the reds if you want to. You know, it's just like this fine level of control. Or if you're trying to make a selection, you can go into the channels and copy one of the channels that kind of gets you there and make that a make that a mask and then work on that in black and white and then load that in as a selection to pull things. It's just I'm geeking out. There's a lot of stuff you can do. <laughs> I'm I'm excited. That's why one of my picks or my pick this week is related to Photoshop. So you'll uh, you guys will enjoy that. So so Craig, what's your favorite new feature? Have you have you had a chance to dive into CC at all? Uh, I've played with it a little bit. Um, the camera shake reduction feature, I, I was what I spent my most time with, just because I think it's so cool. Yeah, uh, it is amazing what it can do with images. Ones that I would have thrown away in the past, I you know can recover and have a useful image out of. Oh, cool. Well, I've got a whole gallery of those that I need to run. Out. <laughs> well, once they when they uh, announced the, this technology a couple years ago, I started saving those as opposed to deleting them, which I previously did. So uh, I've had fun going back through some of my old images and recovering a, a few. I wouldn't use it for my you know professional photography uh, things, but for family portraits um, and that sort of thing, where I I'm often in low light and and have the wrong shutter speed. You know, it's poor conditions to be taking a picture. Uh, I can recover them enough that I have a, a usable picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. Some of the, some of the shots that we shot back in the day are now salvageable. Don, what about you? What's, uh, what's your favorite standout feature in CC? Well, I've been playing with a few things. Uh, recently, a couple of night, nights ago, I photographed a lightning shot, and uh, not from camera blur, but the clouds were moving over the exposure, and there was a bit of motion blur from the clouds, and uh, the, the blur tool that they've added in there, the shake reduction tool, worked on that. And so even in the best case scenario, uh, you know, having the camera on a tripod and everything, the, the variables around you might not be uh, to your liking. And uh, you know, Photoshop can help fix that. How do it's you run that tool? What's the, is it, what, what, where is it? Where is it located? It is under uh, the sharp, filter sharpen menu. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So you just uh, like have a photo that looks like it could use it. You run filter, sharpen, uh, what is it, motion uh, reduction? Shake re- I think it's called... Sh- uh, uh, shake reduction, I think. Shake, shake reduction, reduction. Right. yeah. Okay, and it just does its thing, and boom, you have a sharp photo? Wow. And it has, well, it, it has it's tools. not going to be a magic bullet, though. And there's tools, and like there's some settings that you can adjust within it, I believe. But wow, all right. Well, you know, the, a lot of the listeners. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to get the feedback on the blog post about this uh, about Creative Cloud and see what people think because lots of people have just been. You can tell when people are passionate about something because the the emails get longer that I get <laughs> people. <laughs> People definitely ha- are polarized over this the creative cloud, you know, and I'd say, you know, and that, I'm a sample size of just the TWIP audience, which is a lot, right? And they lean towards not liking paying subscription. So, you know, I'm going against the grain and I'm saying that I'm okay with it. You know, it's not that expensive. And I'm with you, Frederick. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what, what, the, what the folks say. And the Smart Sharpen tool is also really cool. I use that a lot for my macro work when I'm trying to uh, uh, correct for uh, diffraction limiting when I'm uh, bending light the wrong way. And uh, you know, when you shoot with too small of an aperture, everything gets a little bit soft, and that's something you encounter a lot in macro work. Yeah. And I've traditionally used the Smart Sharpen tool to give a little bit more oomph to something. Uh, and the improvements that they've made to that I think are minor, but they're a step in the right direction, and any improvement is an improvement on my image. What's the uh, before we leave this topic? And Craig, I'll throw this to you first. What's what's the the alternative? So, say a photographer's like, you know what? Screw that. Twenty bucks a month, ten bucks a month, five bucks a month. I'm not paying it. What what are their alternatives? Well, you can you could stick with uh, CS6. I mean, the license for that will be good indefinitely. Uh, there will be you know perhaps an issue down the road uh, with Adobe Camera Raw not being updated uh, for the newer cameras. Um, and working with this, the older versions of Photoshop, uh, they could also just stick with uh, you know Lightroom or Aperture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, use Elements, as we said, it's an excellent uh, excellent program for photographers. Um, See that what you just mentioned that just it just it reminded me of something. I was doing this talk um, at a Zenfolio event um, a couple of weeks ago. And someone brought up, because they had heard the episode where we were talking about the the subscription model in Adobe, and someone brought up the fact that they felt like Adobe was holding them hostage to to purchase a subscription um, just to have updated camera raw software. For example, you know, you, you say, you know, screw this, I'm not going with this Creative Card Cloud subscription, I'm sticking with CS6, and then you go buy a new Canon camera. Right. <laughs> right. Well, well, that's always been the case with Photoshop, though. They they've done that uh, with the. I think when the Mark V came out, uh, you had to. I think I was using CS2 at the time, and I had to upgrade uh, to get the new Camera Raw to work with that. Yeah, camera. but between major upgrades, they were issuing updates to Camera Raw that you could load in and say, "Hey, now it supports these five new cameras." Correct. Right. But they would they would also at some point say. You know, this will not work with the older versions of Photoshop. So They'd they were forcing you yeah. to upgrade. And it was a little longer time frame. It would be, you know, several years you would have to use a version of, of Photoshop. But they were 
they were trying to get you to purchase it. And right, that's just that's just business. It's business. That's just business. Now, in in their defense, though, I mean, they have given you a workaround. The Adobe uh, DNG converter will allow you to take any RAW file, uh, even the newest stuff, completely free and convert it to DNG, and you can use that in any old version of Photoshop that can read that format. Now that's um, cool. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So they they have a workaround. Even if you don't want to upgrade, you can send it through that first. And again, it's lengthening your workflow, and I don't like to do that. But if you're not willing to upgrade, then there's a there's a path for you. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's that's good. Okay, so at least it's not a closed door. The the thing that I was concerned about was just you know, okay, someone someone is just anti Adobe, and they just you know they they jump off the boat and they're like, okay, no, I don't want to do any of this stuff. And then down the road, a brand new cool camera comes out. Let's say it's Micro Four Thirds or something um, comes out, and um, they're you know they can't do anything because they have to jump into the creative cloud in order to get the, the bits in camera raw in order to read their new raw file. So you're saying that's not the case, right, Don? Yeah. Uh, and I should mention too, that I was talking to a photographer recently who still swears by the Corel suite of software and they still make a great image processor, uh, as far as uh, I've been told. And so there are alternatives outside of the Adobe space entirely. Um, Corel does stuff, you know, there's some open source programs out there. Nothing is, as uh, industry-leading, I believe, as Photoshop. Uh, there's nothing that you can find as much tutorials and workshops and information to help you learn on. But that doesn't mean it's the only tool. Yeah, that, and that's a huge point, though. I mean, the the ecosystem outside of downtown San Jose, where Adobe HQ is, but, the, you know, the cloud of tutorials on YouTube and, you know, name your video service and, and written blog posts that show you how to do this technique or that technique or retouching and all this stuff... It's all or most of it is centered around Photoshop, right? So if you decide, okay, you know what? I'm not doing Photoshop. I'm going to go with fill in the blank, non-Adobe software. And you want to start doing some advanced sort of compositing techniques or something like that, then finding out how to do that is going to be that much harder, right? It, well, it is more could, challenging. Yes, somebody absolutely. could corner the market on that right now and start making tutorials for those programs. If they know that there's going to be a big exodus from Adobe, then uh, then that would be something that you know, the the uh, the entrepreneur could go into. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen though. I think that people are going to stick with Adobe. A lot of people are grumbling right now because change is bad, no matter what change happens to be. Right, right. And uh, and I think everybody will settle down and accept their their new Adobe overlords. Yeah, I mean uh, overlords. <laughs> no, when I when I look at it, I mean it, looking at it from a business perspective adobe is a business they have to stay in in business and they have to make smart changes in order to keep shareholders happy and consumers happy at the same time what would the outcry be if adobe said you know what we couldn't make this box software thing work so we're shutting down or we're gonna we're being bought by microsoft you know <laughs> so you know would not be a good scene you know you talk about the outcry now over creative cloud and now people are gonna be like oh boycott adobe you know you sold out all this stuff so you can't win you can't win with these people I can imagine Adobe, like every two years was typically their product cycle. And so they'd get a massive influx of cash every two years and then just a trickle of almost nothing in right. the interim. Right. And so that's kind of hard to run a business on that kind of a model. At least now they've got a steady income where they can predict where things are going to go. They can react a little bit more dynamically and, uh, and probably be a, you know, do better service to the industry at large. Yeah, I'd say it'd probably be more fun to market too because you can... You can do things around, you can build a marketing calendar around logical events rather than product releases. <laughs> so it could actually, you could actually do some creative stuff in marketing now. It's amazing. Cool. 
Craig, you're you're so when you do your model stuff, your model photography, um, I'm assuming it's all in Photoshop, right? So just before yeah. we leave the Photoshop topic, just give me like a quick run through of what a, a typical workflow might be for you. So I import into Lightroom, new keyword and selects and all that. Uh, I will sometimes adjust white balance uh, if I'm not in the studio uh, and need uh, need to do that. And then yeah, it goes into into Photoshop um, and. I spend all my all my time in Photoshop doing uh, skin retouching, you know, brightening the eyes, getting rid of stray hairs, whatever. Uh, uh, use the portraiture plugin, that sort of thing, and then export it, uh, save it back, and then Lightroom is where I do my final crop and maybe add a vignette. Got it. Okay, so you 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 round trip, so you import into Lightroom. That's where your digital asset management happens, and then for heavy duty pixel digging work you're in photoshop and then you save back out of out of photoshop into lightroom and do some finishing touches and then export from there that's correct okay got it cool all right don what's your workflow i'm assuming is different and probably a little bit more complex because of the macro stuff you do what is well it? but but it still involves round tripping so i start in lightroom and i uh, like if i'm doing focus stacking or combining frames and i always you know select them edit one paste those settings across all of them and mm-hmm. then bring them into photoshop for all the combination magic uh and and then when they're all combined i usually bring it back into lightroom to do some more global edits and then send it back to photoshop for maybe some more specific cleanup and so i go back and forth a couple of times in the overall workflow and sometimes i send it off to uh third party plugins uh i like uh on one's perfect resize and and some stuff from topaz as well uh i i still actually i i use uh the snapseed desktop application now and again even though it's completely obliterated from uh, from existence yeah. and so it, there's lots of different you know parts of a workflow that I'll use. Um, in average, though, I'll send it back and forth between Lightroom and Photoshop twice. Cool. Yeah. And, now, are you uh, using uh, smart objects for that, or do you use you know, saving and opening up another version? Saving and opening up another version, because some of the edits that I'm doing from one to the next are extensive, and I might want to reference the original one for some reason. So I'll typically save uh, the, you know, the steps uh, that I go through uh, that might have layers in one or, or not in another, uh, so that I can, I can go back to the originals, and uh, and usually it's only for demonstration purposes when I'm putting together a workshop and I want to show my workflow, um, and then I can pick up at different stages. So that's just that's that's my quirky little way of doing things. Excellent. All right, guys, let's uh, let's move on to story number two. It's about Vogue magazine. So let me let me read the top of this. So it says uh, Vogue magazine's recent photo contest, the new exposure photography competition, which was launched May twenty first, twenty thirteen. Promises a $10,000 first prize plus a host of career-boosting extras. Um, but, however, many, including the ASMP, who's Eugene Mopsick we've had on the show before as an interviewee, um, are questioning the motives of the contest. And they say, quote, This contest appears to be an effort to secure thousands of free images for unlimited use in publications and in advertising. Um, and uh, for this reason, we believe that this contest exploits photographers. So I want to talk about I want to talk about this contest, or this photography contest um, first. But overall, contests in general. But before we do that, there's a contest that we're running, the Twip Photo Contest, that we are 
I think it's in the phase now on viewbug.com where people or it's basically a crowdsourced voting effort where people can go and and vote up their favorite images out of all the submissions. But um, I wanted to read the some of the terms and conditions from viewbug, which don't apply to Vogue's contest. So this is what viewbug says. And this is an excerpt. We'll link to the full terms of uh, terms and conditions. But this is an excerpt that I pulled out just for the show. It says, you retain all rights to your work. By submitting your work here, you grant ViewBug contest sponsors and partners the right to provide exposure to your photo when selected as winners or awarded by, um, put it on the web, and use it in the promotion of ViewBug. All used images are credited to the photographer and will not be used in a commercial manner. Any use of the images will be solely used in the context of promoting the contest submissions, website, and users at the website's discretion with no additional compensation owed to the user. Contests may contests may have additional terms of participation within the rules section of the specific contest. The foregoing notwithstanding, user at all times retain all copyright interest in any and all images submitted. So that that so that's the view bug thing that that we run, and I specifically picked those guys to work with because of their sort of egalitarian normal. We're not trying to take advantage of you. Terms of service for the Twitter. I I almost want to applaud them for that. Like yeah. they deserve a round of applause for that because that is unfortunately not the industry standard. You know, as far as people running photo contests, um, the the Vogue approach is the majority. Yeah. And if you don't read those uh, terms of service, they're all going to be a little bit different. But in essence, as soon as you submit a photograph, you lose all the rights to it. And I remember seeing a few of them because I did a little bit of look, looking into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them will say that you can't have submitted your photo to another contest before uh, because if you have, there's a good chance you actually don't have the rights to submit it to this one. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a really interesting perspective. There's a local company um, that I, I shouldn't name names, but I know they held a photo contest a little while ago with a, uh, a little, a, a, an entry-level digital SLR. They probably spent about $500 on the prize, and their rules were, uh, were as such, you know, that they would own every image submitted regardless of if people won. And that's the easiest way for, for you to get a bunch of lifestyle photographs of your local community and pay $500 lump sum for every single image that's submitted. And it sucks. It really burns the photographer. I don't like it at all. Uh, But a lot of people are going to be submitting images to that, and they really should be aware of not only this contest, but all of them uh, that have these draconian rules. Yeah, I mean, Craig, I want you to chime in on this, because this sort of reminds me of... Um, like beauty contests, you know, <laughs> where where the you know this young starry eyed girl has to pay a certain fee in order to be judged to see if she could win a prize, but they get to keep all the images and all, you know, it just seems scammy, you know, to me. What do you think? Well, it it is it is scammy. I mean, uh, their their um, their rules are pretty draconian. Um, you know, they are saying you get. They they can use it for advertising. They can do it for commercial. They you know they can. I, I liked where he said they can use it for all media now in existence or here and after created. Mm-hmm. So and you know perpetuity. Uh, but I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. For for some of these contests, the exposure that you can get by submitting your photo may be worth it for some people. Uh, you know, just one photo you're going to give up the rights to, but you're going to get you know your name known. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a risk. You may not, uh, mm-hmm. but 
a lot of people are willing to do that, and that's that's why they will often enter these. So, do you, do you think it would be okay? Let's let's, let's paint a hypothetical situation. Um, the antithesis to your devil's advocate position. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's say, let's say, you know, Johnny photographer goes out and he's like, you know what? I heard about this contest. Maybe it's Vogue. Maybe it's not whoever, right? Um, that has some questionable terms of service. And he goes out specifically and shoots a landscape shot for this contest, uh, this contest, just one and submits it in the hopes that he's going to win this, this thing. Now, are you saying that, it's a reasonable risk considering that this Johnny photographer is relatively unknown and the chance of winning this giant front, this giant prize is okay for giving up all the rights to that. Even if he's driving down the 405 in LA and sees a billboard with his image up there of a contest that he didn't win. You think that's okay? Well, it it depends on the contest. Um, I think some and and what you know, a lot of photographers don't necessarily want a lot of exposure. But every photo needs an audience, yeah. and by submitting it to contests, you can you you don't have to win. You know, even being in the top you know twenty can often get you some exposure that you know a lot of photographers are looking for. Yeah, uh, and especially if you went out and just shot it just for that contest, knowing that you're going to be giving it to them, basically. Yeah, you know, some people would be okay with that. Now, Don, have you of, ever have you ever entered a photo contest? I have, and uh, and I have won a few local photo contests, but I, I don't enter very many. Uh, I, I entered a, a Nikon photo contest recently, actually, because they didn't specify it had to be Nikon gear, and I'm a Canon shooter, so let's see how well that goes. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but uh, the, the the idea uh, with this photo contest, I think, is that you've got a lot of lawyers that are being a little bit overprotective with their language, and I don't think that Vogue would actually go and start putting up an, a, a contest uh, non-winner on a billboard because if they did you know the the court of law couldn't touch them but the court of public opinion could do some damage and i think that they they wouldn't want to walk down that road without paying at least something to the photographer because it doesn't cost a whole lot for vogue to pay that photographer that didn't win a little bit of money to make them happy to use their image and avoid the the negative press uh that could storm up and cause lots of problems for them in the future yeah, yeah, no, no, I see that. But still, in this day and age, people know how, or the lawyers or Vogue should know how people are paying attention to terms and conditions, you know, and I mean, look at Facebook, <laughs> look, it, it, it happens over and over again. And companies, companies take these gigantic hits, because have they have this crazy language in there. So for you to try to sneak it by and expect people not to, I don't know if they're trying to sneak it, or, you know, I'm just saying, you, you got to be cognizant of that stuff. I, I do worry, though. Every time I install a program, there's like 100 pages of terms and conditions that I just, you know, click agree, and I could be signing my life away for mm -hmm. all I know. Yeah. Uh, now, chances are somebody else has read that, and if there's anything uh, evil inside of it, it may have come up to the surface, but I don't know anybody that's ever read any of those. Uh, so these terms and conditions can be a little bit insidious, and they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy stuff. Craig, have you ever entered a contest? Uh, I, I've entered a few. Um I tend to – I do read the rules for contests. Uh, I, I don't when I'm installing software, but I do for a uh, contest. Uh, and most of them are not quite as bad as this Vogue one. Uh, this one, they could do it even uh, – they say you can use your photo without attribution. So That's the worst. Uh, <laughs> right. Because then what's the point, right? Yeah, I'm not exactly. getting any exposure from it. Yeah. Uh, 
but uh, I I think it's a uh, it, it's it's fun to enter contest. Uh, it does get you some exposure, um, whether you win or lose. And I, I'm going to continue to do so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, one of my my pick of the week actually. I'll I'll hold it for for then. But I. I'm a fan of the way that they do contests, so I'll leave it at that. So now you have to listen all the way through to the picks of the week in order to, <laughs> to hear who I'm talking about. Um, so the the last story, just moving on, the last story is this business in a box. So a recent article on Petapixel.com noted one entrepreneur's effort to cash in on photography. So start a photography business today.com. Let me read that again. That should be your first clue. Startafotographybusinesstoday.com is looking to attract moms with cameras and provide them with a turnkey business model to get them up and running immediately with no photography experience required. Okay. So <laughs> though my, my fingernails are hurting right now because of this. No business experience, no fo- photography experience, but you can still be in business selling ph- photography. So Craig... You, you t- I'm not. I already led the led the witness on this, but tell me what you think about this. Is this uh, is this a good idea? I mean, half of me is half of me is thinking the marketer in me is thinking, okay, it's good to productize this stuff because a lot of photographers that maybe have some talent in wedding photography, for example, it would be great if you had like wedding wedding photography business in a box that had all the forms and all the stuff and all this stuff that you need in order to get going in wedding photography, everything you need, even a website, you know, all that stuff. All you need to do is add really good talent to it. My problem with this thing is they're saying you don't even need the talent piece. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I don't know. What do you think? I, well, this is, this is just a a way of, for them to make money. It's not necessarily going to promote good photography or or a business for any photographer who were to sign up for their service. Um, I mean, as we know, they aren't really teaching you uh, anything about photography. They just say, shoot on a, uh, this, you know, a plain background, either green screen or gray, uh, you know, gray piece of paper and, then send your photos to us, and we'll add a great background behind it. And so you we'll need put no the baby skills. in a bucket or something, right? Um, and they're also saying do it as like a group shoot. Invite all your friends over, you know, kind of like a Tupperware party or a Pampered Chef, and the host gets free photos, and all of the other people will get, uh, you know, have to pay for their photos. The but the fact we we know that you know you can't just shoot without having lighting, you know, understanding lighting. Um, you may get lucky and have some good photos they can recover in their Photoshop, you know, adding it to the background. But in most cases, people are not going to be pleased with the photos they're getting from that. Yeah, yeah. Don, would you, uh, if you were just starting out in business, would you buy a business in a box? No. Um, would you buy it, wine in a box? <laughs> yes, but they're, they're two different things. Uh <laughs> In in this case, we've got uh, somebody that's just trying to – there's a lot of soccer moms out there, people with cameras that just want to make some money on the side. Maybe they've got kids. Maybe they've been taking pictures of their kids and they've been thinking about starting a business because all of their friends have kids and they don't have the camera yet and you're being asked to, to come over and take a picture here and there. And so this is kind of taking that spark and trying to ignite it into something. I don't agree with it though because – it's just going to take all of these people uh, without a whole lot of talent, and it's going to take money from them. 
And I, I saw one example on the website where it's just this baby that has almost like a scared look on their face photographed on an ugly couch that's then put inside of a bucket or uh, in, inside of some interesting background where they outsource the Photoshop work. And then voila, you have your masterpiece image that you can give to your friend. Uh, and they're uh, too nice to you to say that it's awful. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things that's not going to go very far. And, but I also don't think it's going to hurt the professional photography business because the people that would normally go to a brick-and-mortar photo uh, place or to contact a professional photographer in their own right um, are going to know this business in a box when they see it, and they're just going to avoid it. Hopefully, hopefully. I don't know. You remember uh, – Back when Marissa Meyer, made, uh, the CEO of Yahoo, made that comment that there are no professional photographers. So with with that sort of in looking at that in the context of this story, it just sort of makes me think that, you know, if 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 everyone can be a pro, then no one's a pro. It reminds me of that movie. Remember The Incredibles when the when the, the villain said he wanted to make everyone have superpowers because when everyone is super no one is. Right? <laughs> so if everyone is a photographer, no one is a photographer. So the, the profession goes away, right? I'll, I'll relate one interesting uh, idea here is, you know, if you were to dial back the photography industry, if you were a hobbyist, for example, and uh, you were, uh, you know, out taking pictures, you got that one perfect shot of a lifetime uh you might make a print on your wall, otherwise it's going to sh- uh, sit in a shoebox and nobody's going to see it unless they come to your house and open your shoebox or look at your wall. Um, and that one shot, that you know, once in a lifetime brilliant shot would be seen by almost nobody. Mm-hmm. But in today's day and age, it's seen by the entire internet and a great photo can have a viral success. The problem is that amateur photographer uh, is, is not really looking to make any money on it whatsoever. And and so they'll give it away for free. Anybody wants to put it on a cover or license it, they're happy to do it just to see that they get exposure and have a feather in their cap. And so the professional photographer uh, then comes along and is trying to you know, sell or offer services to create images of that same quality when those images are given away for free. So you're competing with free to try and put food on the uh, table. And that, that could be very well why uh, Marissa Meyer decided to make that statement that there's no real professional photographers anymore. Uh, there's merit to what she's saying, even though everybody here is a professional photographer in some context, uh, because it's harder to be a professional photographer today. I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I kind of, Craig, I don't want you to try chime in on this too. I kind of look at that statement that there are no professional photographers, um, kind of like, like saying, oh, because everyone can buy a microwave oven, no one's a chef anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Just because we have the technology and the gear to do stuff doesn't make everyone an artisan. You know, it doesn't mean that you know how to properly compose and expose. I mean, you can expose, but you can't compose and sort of think through the story and the continuity of a series of photos and then do the post-production to pull out your idea and all that stuff. I don't, I don't think you can get that from a microwave, you know, I don't know. Craig, what do you think? Well, um, there is certainly a spectrum of of photography, right? And whether, you know, pro pro is typically if you're making, uh, and you know, living off of it is when you're defined pro Marissa, when, you know, she was kind of taking a little bit out of context with that quote, she was implying that they were getting rid of the pro section of Flickr because uh, everybody now ha- is kind of at the same level of using Flickr. 
Yeah. Uh, it just was kind of mis, you know, it, it was a poorly choice, <laughs> poor the, choice of words, yeah, the, right? It was poor, poorly, it was a poor choice of words and interpreted poorly as well. But still, right. she said it, uh, so. <laughs> but there is, a, you know, there, is, there is a spectrum. There's always going to be a spectrum. Sure. And people are certainly getting better. Uh, I uh, recently went on a, a fly fishing trip with a, a, a guy who had a point-and-shoot camera, and he showed me photos he had taken on an African safari that rivaled what a lot of, you know, pro photos I had seen, you know, five, ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, everyone's getting a lot better, not uh, partly because of the equipment. Um, partly there's a lot more interest in photography now because of the digital age. Uh, and I think I think partly, and, and to, to piggyback on the digital age thing, there's a lot more inspiration out there. I mean, you can go online to sites like 500 Picks and... And, you know, Shutterstock, wherever you want to go, you can go find these places and just sit back with a cup of coffee and say, wow, that's kind of cool and get get inspired and then to go try it. Whereas before you could you could get inspired, but it took a lot more effort to go find different works of people that were inspiring you. I think that another problem, too, is uh, and I agree with you, Frederick, uh, that the inspiration is just phenomenal out there on the Internet. But if you take one quick look at Facebook you'll realize that everybody is being inundated with absolutely terrible pictures. Right. Uh, and, and so the, the, the number of pictures available for you to look at, especially uh, people that you might know, are terrible. And so anything better than terrible becomes <laughs> uh, you know, enjoyable, becomes great. <laughs> you, you'll leave a, com- a compliment on it, and, and you're happy to maybe pay a bit of money for that. Yeah. And so mediocre now becomes the new standard for professional in certain circles. You know, when you're not expecting anything more than the worst, then anything better is just fantastic. Average is the new good, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great, wonderful. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, let's move on from this. Um, before we move on, I want to uh, thank this week's sponsor, and that is Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. Since its platform upgrade last fall, Squarespace just keeps rolling out new product features, integrations, and templates. And to make sure you get the most from their recent innovation, Squarespace has 24-7 support providing live chat during the week and extremely fast email support throughout the day and night. And with plans starting as low as $8 a month for software and hosting, Squarespace is a real value. Now, Squarespace is exceptionally well designed. They've got an award-winning design team who regularly adds smart new features and amazing new design templates. For example, they just added a new calendar feature called Events or the Events Collection that allows you to share schedule updates like store sales events or band tour dates, that sort of thing. They even just released a beautiful new template called Momentum, which has cinematic full bleed imagery. So it bleeds off to the edge of the browser. Um, It's perfect for photographers and designers who want to showcase their big, beautiful images. Now, Squarespace is fast and easy to use. Everything about Squarespace is drag and drop. You just drag and drop your images in there and you're off and away. Their page builder tool, they call that the layout engine, and enables you to customize pages in seconds by adding blocks of content like photos, videos, text, 
social media content, and then as you go, you preview the layout as you're going. So it's live. It's not like you're designing code and then you preview in another window. You're building live on the page. It's really fun. In just a few clicks, their style editor tool allows the selection of fonts, colors, different layouts. You can customize the templates, make them uniquely yours. You can tailor make this stuff so that it fits your goals for your design. Now, Squarespace Commerce provides a powerful and flexible e-commerce backend. It's integrated with every Squarespace template, so they allow sales for both physical and digital goods. For example, you can sell CDs, MP3s, hardcover books, or even eBooks. And Squarespace gives you and your website the this the power to display your image on any device that's looking at it. So they've got the best mobile experience. They've been they've developed templates with responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures itself to look great on any device, whether it's a smartphone, a tablet, or a computer. It goes on and on. You can publish to and from your social media networks. Um, you can refresh your content from places that you post on like say Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Google+, LinkedIn. You can hook all those accounts into your Squarespace site. So as you post there, all that stuff shows up on your website as well. So post once and you don't have to redo your work. They integrate all your website needs into one platform. That's domains, design, development, commerce, hosting. Plus it's all covered in this umbrella of 24 seven support. So if you'd like a free trial of squarespace.com, you can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out and start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, use the offer code TWIP6 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. This includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget about the free domain registrations for annual plan customer subscriptions. At squarespace.com, use the offer code TWIP6. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. Okay, guys, let's jump into some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. And the first question is from Mike. And Mike says, do you use your camera's proprietary RAW format or do you convert your files to DNG or digital negative format from Adobe? What do you think of DNG and the longevity of this format compared to the longevity of the proprietary RAW formats for each camera? Is working in DNG a good or bad idea. Don Komarechka, you mentioned DNG earlier. What, tell, first of all, give us a definition of what DNG is. Digital neg negative format from Adobe, but dive a little deeper. What is DNG? So it, it maintains a lot of the raw functionality of your raw file. And in fact, you can choose to even embed the original raw file into the DNG file. Uh, it's made to be universally readable. So uh, you've got your raw data, in a sense, bundled up inside of some codec that will always be able to read it. Uh, so you can take it and put it into uh, you know, a, a third-party piece of software, maybe some open-source software that can only read DNG because they don't have the budget uh, to read or to uh, to hire people to code for all the proprietary formats. Um, DNG is a little bit more accessible in that context. But as far as longevity, 
I don't think like in, in the history of Adobe uh, allowing you to uh, read and process raw files, I don't think they've ever removed any support. And I don't think that they will because it takes so little space uh, to have every camera supported. And at the very least, uh, if they do decide to cancel support at some point, their DNG converter will probably always support it. So as far as compatibility and future-proofing your images, I don't think it makes much of a difference whether you have it in RAW or in DNG. Um, converting it to DNG will uh, take another step in the process. You can do it very easily in Lightroom. You can just click a checkbox when you're importing and it'll make them all DNGs, but it takes more time. And I like my workflow to be as fast as possible. It does a few interesting things, though. Like if I make a bunch of edits to a, uh, a file, a DNG file in Camera Raw, and I take that file and you know send it off to somebody else, and they open it up in Camera Raw, those edits in Camera Raw are likely to be maintained within that DNG file, uh, whereas a regular Raw file has to have a sidecar file that gets lost, and those edits are lost with it. So yeah, there's a few advantages, but I I don't use it. It's not part of my workflow. You're not using it, okay? So then, because you know I was going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> at the end thank you for capping it with i'm not using it so my my i think part of the crux of this question is i think not so much that you don't trust adobe because you know i i trust adobe and i know that they would do the right thing and they're not going to suddenly close the dng format and, and screw everybody i think they're doing the right thing i think part of the question then becomes what happens to my files if adobe goes away Right. If I if for some reason Adobe, like we said earlier, gets sold to Microsoft or Apple or something, Adobe is no longer supporting DNG. What happens to those files? Craig, are you are you using DNG or are you just going with the proprietary raw format? Well, I uh, I used to use DNG exclusively uh, and I was submitting photos to a, a, a contest site. It was where they would give you a topic each week and you had to go shoot it. And the way they would confirm that you shot it during that week was by looking at the file, and they were unable to look at the the date in the DNG file to see that uh, you didn't modify it. Uh, so I switched back to RAW because I was I, at the time I was doing a lot of uh, submissions to that site. Uh, I do use DNG currently when I am. Uh, collaborating with somebody else and sending files back and forth. Uh, like Don said, it, it includes that uh, sidecar file in the DNG file, so there's no chance of it being lost in the transit. Yeah. So I do use it for that, uh, but in I, I have no problem really with using it anymore. Uh, and I, I go back and forth thinking I should. And, and it compresses, and, right? I mean, if you convert a file, a regular raw file, hey, you know, D800, Listeners, I'm talking to you. Um, if you take a raw file and convert it to DNG, it's going to be a much smaller file, right, Don? I mean, is that your experience? It's not losing any data. Uh, it okay. is, and you you have the option in DNG to actually have. It's more like a wrapper around your raw file that right. has additional information. So you don't really lose any data by converting it to DNG. Okay. So then, then the question becomes: if you if you convert to DNG. Right. Um, a lot of proprietary manufacturer data is written into the raw file, like like lens distortion correction information. You know, that kind of thing is that's proprietary that's written into that raw file. If you convert to a DNG or convert that raw file to DNG and it's just looking at that raw image data, does that all that juicy 
you know, display this image like this because this particular lens has this aberration in there. So to compensate for it, we do this in math to fix it. Is all that stuff gone, Don? What do you you think? Well, uh, some of it will be. Uh, Each camera manufacturer has a secret area of their metadata uh, called Maker Notes. And Mm -hmm. Adobe strips that out whenever they process a RAW file or an in-camera JPEG. So you'll lose some things. There's not a lot valuable in there for most photographers. Uh, I I have an issue with it because with the lens and camera combination that I have, uh, the camera will record the magnification factor of the lens, but it's not a standard uh, value, so it sticks it in Maker Notes, and it's lost whenever Adobe touches the file. Mm-hmm. So I need my unaltered RAW file to record and recover some of that information. Now, I'm one of the very few that even care about that, but it's it's another advantage to not convert. Hmm. So, okay. So, so to both of you guys, what, what's your prognosis of this? Is it use DNG because, you know, to get the portability and sort of the, uh, um, I don't know. What would you, you why would you, should you use DNG? I don't know. If you're, if you're using a lot of, uh, third party programs, then I think, uh, it's a good idea to use. Uh, or if you're working in a group situation where you are sharing files, but third, uh, it might be third party though, I would never share a raw file out there party. I would, I would bring it into Lightroom or Photoshop and the raw data, make my corrections to it. And then at best give them a TIFF file, right? Well, so uh, why, not why, third party, why use DNG not, over a TIFF file? Uh, D- DNG is closer to a raw file than a than a TIFF file is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, TIFF file does lose a lot more information or can, uh, depending on how you save it as a TIFF file, where a DNG is not going to lose that information. In what situation, Craig, would you give someone your raw file? Uh, well, it's uh, I, I recently did a shoot um, for a clothing manufacturer where... It's a, it was actually another photographer I was working with on this, and we were doing some compositing. And I had taken some photos, they had taken photos, and we were swapping them back and forth to use in our compositing. Uh, but that's that's a rare case. I typically am not sharing photos with another uh, another person. Okay. Now, Don, what about you? Are you share when you share files with one of your clients? What do you give them? JPEG. Almost always a JPEG because nobody has ever requested anything more than that. Um, however, if people are sending me files to print or anything like that, I ask for a TIFF file, and that's it. Cool. All right. Well, cool. Well, I think the jury's still out on DNG. I think the the onus will be on the listeners to head over to Adobe site, and we'll link to the DNG page in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but for me personally, uh, what I do is I I just I don't convert to DNG. I just use the the proprietary format that comes out of either my Nikon or my now my Olympus camera. And that's what I go with. So I don't, I don't have a reason right now, a compelling reason right now to convert to DNG. I think part of the, the idea behind DNG is, Hey, Olympus goes away, which, you know, could happen. Olympus goes away. If you've converted your files to DNG, they're safe. And they're sort of in this no man's land of, of uh, not being attached to any particular camera manufacturer. But right now, I'm okay. So, But, you know, down the road, maybe I could just do a select all and say convert to DNG. I don't know. But There is one more obscure reason why I've converted an image to a DNG file. It's because I've needed to use Adobe's DNG profile editor software, uh, which you really don't ever have to use. But in Lightroom, 
or in Camera Raw, if you scroll down to the very bottom and you can choose a camera profile, uh, which is, you know, on your camera, you can choose standard or vibrant and that kind of stuff. Uh, when I'm processing infrared photographs, I need to create my own that allows the white balance to swing uh, further colder than Lightroom normally allows me to do. So when I'm creating my profile for the very first time, I have to create a DNG file of one of those raw images, bring it through a series of Adobe software to make this profile, and, uh, and then reopen Lightroom with it. And so there's some really strange things that you might need a DNG file for at different times, and then you just create one as is needed. But uh, overall, I think uh, Mike was originally writing here that he's looking for uh, longevity, mm-hmm. and I don't think that longevity is the reason. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, cool. Well, yeah, I'll stick to my point. Hey, head over to Adobe site and educate yourself. And, and go to Adobe TV and do a search for DNG and, and see what they have to say about DNG, and maybe it'll change your mind. All right, guys, let's jump into the Picks of the Week segment. Remember, uh, this this your pick can be anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Craig, I want to let you go first. What is your pick of the week? Uh, so mine is take a workshop. Uh, no matter what your skill level of, of a, you know, as a photographer, you know, everyone can benefit from a workshop. And it doesn't even have to be in your field of interest. Uh, I took a Death Valley workshop with John Paul Campanegro that mm. completely changed the way I approach my model shoots in the studio. So you can learn things from all sorts of, of workshops. And I have two recommendations of workshops I've taken in the past year. Uh, the first is called Click, the California Photo Festival. It's a five-day festival held down in San Luis Obispo. Um, and it's uh, got some big-name photographers in it, uh, Rick Salmon, Lee Veris, Bobby Lane, Ben Wilmore. Uh, it's an interesting combination of cl- classroom and actually going out in the field and shooting. And it's just a, a great uh, great workshop. I, I may have to go to that because I would love to meet Lee Veris because he's like the skin retouching guy. He is. He <laughs> so. is. Yeah. And I learned quite a bit from his workshop. Yes. Um, and it's it's put on by Hal Schmidt, who runs the light photographic workshops in Los, Alto, uh, Los Osos, California. Uh, but you can go just for a day or you can go for the entire week. And it I highly recommend it. It's in uh, October, I believe. And the second workshop is the Lenswork Roadshow uh, 2012. And it's done by the publisher of Lenswork Magazine, Brooks Jensen. Uh, it's four half-day seminars, and one of them is called Finding an Audience for Your Work. Hmm. And I thought it had some very good information about how to sell your photography, and I'm actually taking what I learned in the workshop and applying it to my work. Um, so there's still some cities left in that roadshow, mainly in the southwest, but the course is also available online at lensworkonline.com. Uh, and it's a 14-hour video course, and uh, you have to be a member of Lenswork Online to access it, but that's only $59 a year. And I think it's uh, well worth the money. Very cool. I mean, I think I think that's really good advice is to, you know, we can we we can look at tutorials online, we can listen to podcasts, we can read books, we can read ebooks all day long. But there's no substitute, I think, for getting out there and just standing next to another person that's in your that's in the same boat as you, that's passionate about photography and shooting stuff with an instructor that can come say, hey, no, 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 no. See, you need to be on F 2.8 for that shot. You know, that kind of thing. It just sort of makes things click in your head. So I think that's a really good pick. And I'll, I'll I w- second that. I would add one on there, Craig. Um, uh, there's this there's a. a 
uh, gallery in Cooper. It's not Cupertino. It's Campbell, California. It's called Aperture Academy. They've got this beautiful gallery. It's run by its photographer, Stephen W. Oaks, O-A-C-H-S. And it is amazing, right? So you go into this gallery, you're like, your draw jobs to the, to the floor. He's got these gigapixel images in there that are blown up wall size. And it's just amazing work. But they also, uh, along with the gallery, they do workshops and classes and other events. And I have their, I just went down there, I met with them a couple of days ago. So I have their, the sheet of some of the workshops they have coming up in, uh, in the coming months. And just looking at, say, let me go back. I'm going to look at... Um, yeah, I've been in there, and they have some excellent workshops. Uh, yeah, looking and, at and August. His, and his work is just amazing. Actually, no, looking at looking at Jul- or July here, they've got a Night Owls workshop. They've got Marin Headland's workshop. They've got a Lightroom workshop, San Francisco Zoo, a photography summer camp, mounting and displaying photographs, and... You know, and they it's also just, do world uh, worldwide uh, seminar or, uh, as well. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, like in uh, August, they've got grizzly bears of Alaska. I mean, it's, <laughs> just, it's amazing. They got a Bodie Ghost Town workshop coming up, and these are just these are amazing. So def- they've got what is this Tanzania, Africa? They're going to so yeah, it goes on and on. So definitely check them out. They're just at apertureacademy.com. They're uh, they're, and they're friends of TWIP. So hopefully I'm going to get Steven on the show. I'm going to hopefully do an interview in person with him, with my OMD, in the gallery. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see if that works out. But yeah, definitely check them out. So excellent, excellent pick, Craig. All right, Don, what's your, what's your pick of the week? Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've been playing around with infrared photography quite a bit. And man, it's an entirely different world out there. So my pick is to, uh, uh, is to LifePixel. LifePixel is a company that modified my 5D Mark II to shoot infrared images. Now, my camera can only shoot infrared images. They've got a number of uh, different modifications that can you know, allow you to put filters on and can, can do different things and still use it normally. Um, but uh, it cost me, uh, I think, $450, including yeah. shipping across the continent. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, everything was insured, and, and uh, I, I got my camera back. Very happy with the results. They've changed the low-pass filter in front of the sensor uh, to only allow infrared light to pass through. So I can still look through the viewfinder and see things perfectly fine. I typically use live view to compose. And uh, I, I, if you've got an old camera that's just kicking around, collecting dust, Consider modifying it for infrared photography and exploring an entirely different world. I highly recommend it. Uh, I totally agree. I think I used. I want to. I'm pretty sure I used LifePixel to do the to do my 10D, but it was like you know it was back in the Cretaceous period, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if those were the guys that did it, but yeah, same thing. It's amazing. It didn't take that long. It came back and it was it was amazing. All I all I can recommend is when I when I brought it back and I went out and did some shots with it. All the shots came back like magenta it's like this magenta cast over everything which was just you know i created a an import preset in lightroom so when it recognized this particular camera it automatically uh, applied a particular preset to it which counteracted the the magenta tone made them all infrared on import so now it works perfectly so yeah yeah yeah, you have to edit you have to play with your images that these cameras will create uh and there's a bit of an art form in processing them you can convert them to uh, black and white and you can do some really cool black and white infrared stuff or you can play around with false color and uh, that's an entirely different uh you know adventure as well don i'm feeling a tutorial coming on i think you need to do a tutorial (laughs) all right (laughs) 
All right. Well, cool. Perfect. Perfect. Now, I want to see some of these shots that you're pulling out. That's, uh, that's I've been posting them on Google Plus. You can okay. Look. Cool. All right. Well, All right. I guess I should we'll log on. Yep. I, you know, I've been I've been in the real world. I need to get back into the ether. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, my my pick of the week is um, it's a site called Flearn. P H L E A R N. You know, like photo learn. So p flearn dot com, and uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. But they've got speaking of learning photography. Um, they've got over 450 tutorials on Photoshop and photography on the site and compositing and all this cool stuff. I discovered them because I'm just going through YouTube videos looking for, um, what was I looking for? I did a, did this, um, levitation shot a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, I want to see how other people are doing this technique in Photoshop. So I was going through there and I found one on Flurn and then I, of course, you know, I followed the vein and found 450 free tutorials on there and Aaron the guy that runs the site who's going to come on Twip I'm actually interviewing him in a couple of days he um does these things right so it's not like you know you go through YouTube and there's these there's tutorials on there and then there are tutorials and the tutorials some of the lower quality tutorials are are like okay why did you even bother putting this online you know and then the high quality ones are you know, done by pros. Like I'm thinking Scott Kelby and Linda.com, you know, those sorts of things. I would say that Aaron's tutorials, at least for me, are at least as good as, and in some cases better than those tutorials. And these are free. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And he they're, they're great, free. Great and he, work. he has this personality that just is infectious and you listen to him and you're like, I like this guy. I can hang out with him, you know, but he knows more than I have ever even conceived of knowing about Photoshop, <laughs> but he's he knows how to teach it. Photoshop skills, right? It's just insane. Yeah. Like he goes in there and he's like, "Okay, this is how you do this." Blah 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 blah, and he's just going to town with his Wacom tablet, editing a photo and creating a work of art in front of you for free on his website or in YouTube. So I got to you, check this out. You got to check it out. It's amazing. You'll love it. And then the cool thing about it, the other thing that that the drop that drawn me or drew me to Flurn was. The business side of it. So he's doing these free tutorials, of course, to build an audience and get people to get the traffic coming in, get people like me talking about the site, which I am. But then he's got he's got uh, paid tutorials up there as well. And with the paid tutorials, you get a video, a long form video like you normally they're about an hour plus long and all the source files that he's retouching and the brushes and the actions, all that. <laughs> And he normally, I think the, I think they're like 25 bucks for all that. So he'll have like, he'll reverse engineer it. So he'll have like, okay, look at this shot of, you know, this, this model that's doing whatever, right? And you'll see the shot. And then if you want to learn how he created that shot, he'll give you all the source files to recreate it and everything that he did to it to get to get it from the raw or the you know the unprocessed shots all the way up to the finished shot that you see so it's just it's crazy it's infectious and it's you know it's easy to listen to and he's a he's a great educator so i can't can't say enough about it you definitely have to check it out if you if you're low on funds you'd be hard pressed to go through 450 free tutorials and if you have a few dollars laying around buy one of his tutorials support the guy and help him keep going so so craig you've seen this stuff uh, yeah, in fact, I've bought quite a few of his tutorials. Um, I, in fact, I, I've watched probably five or six of the paid ones, and I probably have another four or five just sitting on my hard disk waiting for me to have time to get to them. Uh, but he, I, I'm in awe of his Photoshop skills. Uh, yeah, I want to, I want to be him when I grow up. Yeah, it's it's very inspiring. I'll tell you the ones that I've purchased so far. 
I purchased uh, the body. So you've got he's got one where he's doing a, a retouch of a, a model in several different situations. He's got Beetle Beauty, which I get, think he gives that one away free on the website. If you just go there and sign up for his newsletter, he gives you that one free. And he's retouching a beetle in someone's mouth. He's got one called Rebirth and then another one called The Flood. So I've got all those and yep. I'm adding to my Flurn well. collection. You, ha- you have yep. those too? I have I have the flood yes a uh, very very good tutorial. I want to go do the flood. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's cool stuff. So yeah, so definitely if you're listening to this, just go to flurn.com or go to the website or go to uh, this week in photo and we'll have a link to it over there. You can check him out. But yeah, good stuff. Support Aaron. He's doing really good work and he seems. I mean, I've never I haven't met him before. I mean, I'll by the in the next couple of weeks I'll have met him and interviewed him for this week in photo, but. You know, he just seems like a, a a really nice guy that just knows his stuff and is willing to share share it with others. And it's really rare, I think, in this day and age, because on the on the internet marketing side, you either have people that are just trying to figure out ways to get money out of you, you know, and then on the photography side, it seems to be going that way with a lot of different companies. They're just like, okay, how can we market? to you better and very rarely do you find someone that's that's built a business that sort of straddles that line of yeah this is a business we're making money but we're doing the right thing and giving you a lot of cool stuff to uh to inspire you and it's inspired me so uh, you know and i am the twip listener i'm the i am a twip listener so i am uh i'm just like you so you should definitely check it out and I know, Don, you're probably over there right now, aren't you? <laughs> I, I've got the website right up. Yeah, sorry, I'm a little distracted. <laughs> I figured you were over there. Isn't it cool? It's cool, it's right? Great. All right, guys. Uh, well, listeners, stay tuned for the end of this episode after we close it out for a special interview with a uh, amazing photographer named Laura Tillinghast. So definitely check that out. Uh, but as far as the rest of this, we're at the end of another episode of TWIP, guys. Craig, where can people go to keep up with you? Uh, all things uh, Craig can, Colvin can be found at craigcolvin.com. That's it? Just craigcolvin.com? That's it. Every, spell, it every, spell that for the people C-R-A-I-G, who don't know how to spell it. C-R-A-I-G-C-O-L-V is in Victor, I-N.com. Right, and that so, has all my handles to Facebook, Google+, Twitter, uh, portfolio, all of that good stuff. And that's C-R-A-I-G-C-O-L-V-I-N.com. Cool? That's correct. All right. Thank you, Craig. And thanks for coming on. No, I enjoyed it. Thanks. And break a leg me. tomorrow night, by the way. <laughs> All right. And Don Komarechka, where can people go to keep up with you? Well, I'm most active on Google+, so try to find me on there. Uh, my website will have all of my uh, workshops and, and happenings uh, posted there, and that's at doncom.ca because my last name is too hard to spell. So it's uh, D-O-N-K-O-M dot C-A, and you'll find me there. Nice. I think you should shorten even further. You should go DOCO. Just D-O-K-O, I'm telling you. Oh, I'm going to have to look for that. <laughs> don't, get so, don't get sued by NTT Docomo, but yeah, uh, <laughs> D-O-K-O should be your, your handle. I think any four-letter domain name right now is probably already taken. Yeah, probably. But at, at least, uh, definitely check for it before this episode airs. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right, guys, cool. Well, thank you for everything. And guys, uh, listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please join our community on Google+. We are sorely lacking behind Don Komarechka's community. So, what's, <laughs> yeah, what's going on with that? I don't know. I don't know. People, All our community members are bouncing off and going to you. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because you have all that original photography over there. That could be it. 
Um, <laughs> but definitely join our community. It is growing fast, and I, I appreciate all the members that have joined it so far. Also, if you're just looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. I'm sitting here on Skype with um, Ms. Laura Tillinghast. She's a photographer that's based in the California Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, she does some amazing work. She does... Uh, photography of people. She does flora and fauna. She does workshops, all kinds of cool stuff coming out of her camera. And she's agreed to chat with me today on in an interview to talk about how she got started in photography and maybe provide some tips on how people can display their images online and and how she sort of managed to be a successful photographer. So Laura, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, cool. No, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. So let's let's start with you, your background. So you're you are a photographer now. I'm looking at your site now. You have some beautiful work up here. It's at lauratillinghast.com. Thank you so much. Yeah. So how so tell me about how you got started in shooting and how how you found your particular niche slash look. Right. So I have been doing art since I know for as long as I can remember, I always, when I was in school, I, you know, people asked me, what do you want to be? I always said that I wanted to be an artist. And then when I got older, I realized that, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can be an artist and, you know, maybe it's painting, drawing, and I tried everything, you know, I did sculpture and pottery. And when I, my hands landed on photography, I really felt like I had finally found the thing that clicked with me and was exactly the tool that I needed to bring what I had you know, the pictures in my head into real life. What are some other kinds of art that you tried that didn't click or didn't stick? Well, that's the thing. I end up, I do a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I make jewelry and I did uh, stone sculpture for quite a while. And I still love all of those things. I just know I didn't choose to, you know, put all my passion behind them. Uh, so I still do them. I bake and decorate cakes and do all kinds of creative things. But, um, you know, photography was the thing that felt the most comfortable i'd say yeah yeah it felt right yeah for me photography is like that that magical blend of technology to appeal to the geek side of me it's uh-huh. art to appeal to the art side psychology you know it's marketing it's all that stuff rolled into one and it keeps changing right 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 and for me with my creative process i find that you know in all the areas of photography i like creating images so versus you know capturing a moment that it is you know a, huge part of being a photographer to be have great timing and really be paying attention and capturing moments and understanding everything that goes into those moments to make powerful images but for me it's more you know as a painter would gather you know their uh, canvas and paints and easel and everything together and then begin to create a piece of work for me I do a lot of planning ahead of time like you know, uh, source wardrobe and props and makeup and a staff to, you know, bring it all together. And then I create the images from there. So that's part of why, you know, I've chosen to go into commercial photography versus being an event photographer or, you know, on the consumer side. Yeah. And that speaks to uh, to a quote that you have on your site from Ansel Adams that you, you know, the photographer's 
make images, they don't take images, right? Yeah, I, I find that it's true. And, you know, everyone will get lucky from time to time, but really the more that you put into your work and your images, you know, the more that it's going to speak to your audience, in my opinion, anyway. So talk about your, your process with people. I'm looking at your, your front page. You got a, a beautiful slideshow up there with, with great shots of people and they're just they're popping off the screen. So so how do, how does that kind of work come to fruition? You, from beginning to end, do you like are these friends, are these clients, are these you know, you like you said, you source materials. Do you source the material of the, I need this guy in this location and then you put it together? How does all that go? Right. No, and that's a good question. It kind of it depends on, you know, um, you know, what context the image is created in. So if I am uh, trying to just build my portfolio and, I, you know, I've decided that I haven't done a certain look, um, maybe uh, outside in natural light in a little while and I need to add something new to my portfolio, then I get together a team, you know, first have an idea, get together a team. In that case, I usually reach out to modeling agencies and they'll send models over um, Versus, you know, having like a good looking friend, I find that really using professional models takes your portfolio to the next level in terms of um, really communicating a professional image. So that's how those, you know, kind of the more fun images get created. If it's for a client and some of those things do end up in your portfolio in the end, uh, generally they have more say in, you know, who who, you know, the subject of the photograph looks like to them. And then, you know, I work with them to uh, get the right person in there. That's great. So, so take me through that—the the piece of actually hiring the model mm-hmm. and, and calling the agency. What does it cost? And you know, how, what are the logistics involved with that? Is it just like you cut, like ordering a pizza, or is it <laughs> is it more involved than that? <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, what you would do is get together, you know, your ideas and exactly what, how you're going to use the images. Um, so, for example, if it's a portfolio. Uh, assignment that you're just doing uh, to grow your book and you have a makeup artist and a wardrobe stylist and the three of you have a vision together, once all that's decided, then you contact modeling agencies, let them know exactly what you're doing, where the images will be used. And if it's for a portfolio, they'll generally send models and uh, do it on a trade basis. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get to a certain level as a photographer for them to let you in the door that way. But um, once you're there, you say, you know, I'll provide high resolution images and that'll compensate the model for their time. Um, and then, you know, the makeup artist also gets images, the, um, model gets images for their portfolio and everybody wins. But with a client's job, they basically contact you uh, with their specifications and also with a budget. So then you turn around and contact the modeling agency and say, this is how much budget that the client has for models. We want somebody that's, you know, between 20 and 25, long, dark hair, you know, or, you know specific ethnicity, whatever the client says, you um, let the modeling agency know that. And then they send you a little... Uh, group of models that fit the criteria you know so if you say you want um, like you know we'll go with the criteria I just listed then they send you probably between five and seven girls to choose from who have long dark hair and and you know fit the other requirements and then from there they you know you find out if they're available and the rest is history now okay so that's a professional going through a a a modeling agency or traditional modeling agency. Have you ever used uh, Model Mayhem or One Model Place or any of those sorts of online, more consumer-based sourcing yeah. places? 
Absolutely. So I do use those from time to time. Um, for example, if I'm doing a lighting workshop and I need a model for that, um, there isn't as much of a commercial application. So I'll go through Model Mayhem. Uh, that brings the cost down, you know, because you, you get to reach more people and they're definitely not looking, you know, to cover a certain day rate that they have. <clears throat> There's, you know, much more flexibility that way. And it's a great place to start. You want to make sure that you've worked with enough models before you approach a modeling agency that you have a solid portfolio to show them of what they can expect if they send a model to one of your, you know, out on a job with you. Yeah. So it is, um, I think the first place I started was actually Craigslist, which I don't recommend. Re <laughs> recommend. Mm -hmm. And then someone told me about Model Mayhem and I stopped using Craigslist after that. But uh, since what happened, then What happened on Craigslist? What was, your, what was your experience there? Oh, it's just that, you know, let's say you ask for the same thing. I'm looking for a girl with long, dark hair and she needs to be in her mid twenties. You'll get, you know, middle-aged men in their sixties saying, <laughs> I like modeling. I think I'm perfect for this. <laughs> so Could you make an exception for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, it's been great for other things though. Um, I had an assignment come up and the client wanted, um, some makeup items that had snake venom in you know the beauty products to be photographed in a snakeskin makeup bag and I thought you know what this is going to be a product shot it's going to be in a magazine it would be much more interesting to have a real snake versus just a snakeskin imitation you know makeup bag so I went on Craigslist and I said hey if you have a pet snake and you're willing to come you know to my studio for 30 minutes you'll make 50 bucks and get a copy of the magazine and I did get a couple people and I managed to get a snake you know to the studio everything worked out and the client was you know beyond thrilled that we had a live snake in the image versus you know just kind of a boring scenario that's crazy that is crazy and you had a how big was a snake that showed up in your studio it was almost 4 feet long it was a red tail boa constrictor <laughs> Wow. But as long as, I mean, I made it clear in the ad that I wouldn't, you know, you'd need to stay with the snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And keep it away from your cat, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, cool. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, some of the still life shots that you do. I'm looking at your flora gallery right now and beautiful shots. So, so take me through what was your mindset behind making these? Did you have like, okay, have, I have a client that wants these or I have a wall in my house that I want to put these great images on? What, what yeah, was no, the, that's a good question. I tend to uh, get invitations from time to time from uh, restaurants, uh, galleries, different spaces that would like a series of images to display, you know, for a certain period of time. And if they all are one series, it, I don't know, I feel like it communicates your theme better and it's just a more present professional presentation versus just you know throwing together a bunch of miscellaneous images yeah. so I'll often create something new uh, for an opportunity like that and the um, the flora series I had the opportunity to make an album and then display my album at a an event for artists who were coming and you know it was like a, a promotional event more or less and then fauna that one was for a restaurant and they had said, you know, we really love your still life work. We like flowers. Can you just do something in your style that uses flowers? And that was, you know, it's pretty easy to, to just play, you know, with such a colorful and fun to work with subject. Yeah. Yeah. I love the high key and then low key. That's, that's mm -hmm. really cool. Now did you, you did these in your, in your studio, right? Yep. Wow. Okay. And just, so technically, let's jump into the, technic, the technical piece of this. So you shot these on 35 or a DSLR or medium format or how did that go? Yep. I'm using a 35 millimeter DSLR. So um, 
I have a Canon 5D and a 5D Mark II that I use quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I like them both. Um, for the high-key ones that are on a white background, <clears throat> it's very easy. I mostly just bounced one key light off of a white wall, put the flower in front, and then just allowed the light to wrap around the flower. So it was kind of experimental. I wasn't sure how exactly that was going to work it out. It came but... out great. It came out great. How how big did you go with these in the final print? Oh, uh, 30 by 30 inches. Oh, that's awesome. 30 by yeah. 30 square. With all these, that that would be cool. Are these yeah, are these really posted now? Nice. Like, yeah. are they on display? I They were. And I should put up some uh, images of what the installation looked like. I have yeah. not done that. <laughs> you totally have to do that. <laughs> yes. Note to self right now. Note to self. Get that up there. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so let's let's wrap it all up with just um, presentation. So I'm looking at your site, and I'm, it's easy to navigate. You know, I'm going through. I'm looking at all the images up here. It's clean. What tips can you give folks to do something similar to what you do you do here? Because there's a bunch of different ways to get your images online. You're mm-hmm. selling. I see prices and all that stuff. So you're doing. You're. This is commercial. This is a commercial endeavor, not just a. Hey, come look at this thing that I did. Right. What are some tips that you can give people around that stuff? Well, first of all, I'm so glad to hear that it's easy to navigate, you know, that you're not having any problems that way. That's always, as a photographer, when you put your work online, the last thing you want to hear is that someone had problems, you know, purchasing or getting pages to load or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I have had, you know, all kinds of different website providers in the past with mixed results. And currently I use Infolio and it's been awesome because everything really goes smoothly. They handle all the sales aspect. I just need to make sure you know it looks good uh, when I put it up. And my tips are always the same to minimize as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, then people say that I have a really clean look to my website and that it's the reason is because you really want your, the focus to be on your images and not to be on you know a lot of extraneous elements on the page that draw your eye away from the photograph. So that's always been my uh, philosophy is to just keep it as clean and minimal as you can. So yeah. that, you know, the work speaks for itself. Less is more, right? Absolutely. <laughs> now, I'm looking at some of these images here, and you have your logo watermarked on the image. We talk mm-hmm. about watermarking and there, on This Week in Photo a lot, and there seems to be like this bifurcation, like right down the middle of mm-hmm. some photographers think watermarking is the only way to go. And some photographers say, I would never, ever ruin my work by putting an image on it. Right. You watermark. So t- take me through your mindset behind watermarking. I found the same thing. There's There are always two camps, pro-watermark and, you know, against watermark. Now, I find that the reason that it's bipolar that way is one group are people who have not had a bad experience, and the other group are people who have had their images lifted off of <laughs> Yeah. Off There's of two website. kinds of people, people that have been stolen from and people that haven't right. been stolen from yet. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So it, there is a love-hate relationship with a watermark that's always going to exist. You don't want to have to put anything on your image, but just the reality of having digital media online these days, you really can't afford not to protect yourself. So I've experimented a lot with mine. Um, there's always going to be people who don't like it, but if you can find just some kind of happy medium of, you know, a a logo that gives, you know, the right impression, this image is copyrighted. It's not for you to just take, um, but also doesn't detract from your work. That's, you know, the happy medium that I'm always looking for, but it's difficult. Love it. Love it. And then it is important to choose a website provider like the one I use in Folio that doesn't allow right-click saving. Mm -hmm. So if uh, someone were to come to the 
um, you know, Fauna Gallery, and they try to right-click on an image to download it to their computer, the right-click options are replaced with Buy. So yeah, I think I'm that doing that on your image too. right now, and I got Buy, Add to Favorites, Dim the Light, Single-Click, and Share this photo instead of Save As. Right. So I think that's important not just to protect myself, but also retrain the community at large that that's what they should be thinking about when they go to save an image, how much they're willing to spend. Very good. Yeah, very good. And then the other thing that if you hadn't watermarked these images or you put a kind of an uh, unobtrusive watermark in the lower corner that could be cropped out, people could, right. they could screenshot it, right? I mean, especially Absolutely. with today's retina, I'm looking at your image on a retina display right now. So uh -huh. I could, if I, if it wasn't watermarked, I could snapshot it and make us a reasonably sized print that wouldn't look as good as what you would make, right? It's true. And that, that happened to me, unfortunately. I had taken some uh, portfolio shots for a model, and I put them up in my portfolio. And this is when I lived in Miami. And then I was walking on South Beach because I happened to live right on one of the streets where you know, the nightclubs are. And this guy handed me a flyer, just like everybody walking by. And I looked down, and much to my horror... There's my, you know, photograph of my model who was in a bikini, no less, and they had done some weird manipulation to it, you know, then Photoshop added some crazy filters to try to, I think, change how it looked enough. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they used it as a promo flyer, and I got in a, a lot of trouble with the modeling agency because originally they thought that I had taken that image and then sold it to this oh, nightclub without no. their permission, and it was really sticky, and it took a while for everything to get worked out to where I wasn't, you know on the modeling agency's, you know, angry list and it it was a mess. So ever since then I've been making sure to protect everything online to a, you know, list copyright, minimize also the size the images display so that if people do take a screenshot, it can't be that big and to also add a watermark wherever possible. Love it. Wow. That's that's great advice. See, re you're right. Real world experiences do guide your future behavior, right? Right. And see, that's the thing. You know, if you haven't watermarked your images yet, do it now so that you don't become somebody who has one of these horror stories to tell right. other photographers later on. Right. Now, the the Flora and Fauna series, I'm, look, I'm noticing that you're, you're going with the square form, format for these. Is that mm -hmm. your style? Do you typically do square or is it just for these two these two that just projects. ended up being uh, how those came out. In general, I am always <laughs> reminding myself not to shoot everything in a vertical format. Mm -hmm. And so turn your camera, you know, back up. I'm always, you know, challenging myself to do that. But I think when I put together a series of images that's going to display either in an album or a book or in a gallery, I like to have the format consistent so that they all flow together and the story is, you know, consistent. Yeah, consistent and cohesive. Very, very cool. So any any uh, parting shots for the listeners from, uh, from Laura Tillinghast on, you know, how they can kind of get to where you are or, or follow in your footsteps a little bit? Well, I think, you know, no matter what level of photography you're at, always strive to learn more and get better and never, ever get comfortable and, you know, never just lean back and say, ah, I'm, I'm finally here, you know, that you can always be learning more and uh, polishing your your skills so that you can, you know, get bigger and better jobs. Love it. Love it. Yeah, we're all practicing photographers. No one's no one's ever finished practicing. Right? Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you you weren't exactly feeling 100%, but you were a trooper and you decided to do this anyway. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. All right. You're welcome. And uh, listeners, if you want to check out her website again, go to lauratillinghast.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T.com.